this morning. We are going to continue in our study of Matthew's gospel. We're going to finish the chapter this morning. We have been in this powerful, wonderful chapter over the last few weeks. So we've gone as far as verse 27. We'll pick up our study there, Matthew chapter 9. If you're visiting or you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And I want to remind you that on Wednesday nights, we're in the book of Jeremiah. It really is quite an incredible study. And so join us online on our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org, or Facebook Live Calvary Chapel Greeley for our Wednesday study in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah really speaks to us today as I've been saying, because Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He's weeping over a nation that is dying spiritually and the repercussions that would come to the house of Judah, of course, going off into captivity. And we saw the destruction of Jerusalem last week. And uh, so it really speaks to us as we look around, we see what's happening with our nation spiritually. And, and I think that you'll be tremendously touched by the book of Jeremiah. And it really is relevant to what we're going to be seeing today and talking about today as well. And we'll get into our study in just a little bit. But a couple of quick uh, announcements that I do have uh, besides the online uh, uh, services. And by the way, welcome all of you who are tuned into online and you're watching us. Uh, we are glad that you're able to do that. Technology connects us together. Also, those of you in the backyard, we want to welcome you as well uh, that are out there. We are going to do that for one more week, putting the TV out there and uh, having that space available for you to be outside. So we'll finish up September and then we will stop doing that and we'll be inside of here for all of our services uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, there is the e-bulletin. You guys have gotten used to that uh, with the um, you know, last few months, and uh, we haven't been handing out bulletins. And so we want you to look at that very carefully and all the weekly scheduling uh, and small groups that are meeting during the week. There's also just a, a couple notes. Num number one is Grief Share is going to be starting up uh, this Saturday. It's a Zoom Grief Share that John O'Rourke oversees. So we want to draw attention to that. And also there is anyone interested in serving can go online and fill out that volunteer interest forms. And uh, again, you can see it on the e-bulletin or website or website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. And uh, you can fill that out and we'll get the ministry leaders to help you with that and tell you all about those ministries as we just continue to just kind of get back together and uh, having small groups during the week and things like that. Uh, the Lord has so much he wants us to do as we move forward, and we want to give you the opportunity to, to be a part of that. Uh, also, I do want to take some time this morning. I want to pray for a couple families. We've had some loss here at Calvary Chapel, and uh, about a week and a half ago, Jerry Sanders uh, who has been a part of our fellowship for many years, about 20 years, uh, almost since the beginning, uh, went home to be with the Lord. And we have been praying for him for a while. Uh, he uh, was such a vital part of our fellowship in that he oversaw the men's prayer meeting on Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock. That was something that really was on his heart was to do that. And he was so faithful to it every week, being here, opening it up at 6 in the morning, getting things ready for the guys to come in and pray. But also he was one that was very handy with his hands. He was a builder. Um, he There's uh, buildings around Greeley that he 
uh, was the supervisor um, in the construction of it. Um, one is the school over here, St. Mary's. That's where I really got to, to get to know him. Uh, but he uh, is going to surely be missed. We want to pray for Sandy, his wife, of over 40 years. And uh, Sandy is uh, someone who many of you know uh, led the lady study for years uh, here at Calvary Chapel. So we want to pray for them. I just want to mention that sometimes we don't uh, say anything right away when somebody passes away because we want them uh, to be able to get a hold of family. And we want them to be able to get a hold of others. And we live in an instant world where, you know, texting and all that goes out right away. Uh, we want to give them the liberty to be able to get a hold of family members before we make a public uh, statement that uh, they have passed on. But Jerry went home to be with the Lord very peaceably. Last time I saw Jerry, he says, I'm ready to go see Jesus. I'm ready to go see Jesus. And so we're very grateful for that. But uh, the other family is the Barreras family, uh, Katie Barreras, um, young uh, mom, uh, three precious kids uh, that were here every Sunday and every Wednesday. She went home to be with the Lord as well as she was fighting cancer. So we want to pray for Josh, her husband, for Kim, her mom, that's a part of this fellowship, uh, their family, for those three precious kids uh, that we've had the privilege to minister to, Jack and Charlie May and Huck. And uh, so we are going to have a celebration of life on Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're going to have the sanctuary here that uh, we will accommodate people, the coffee shop. And then also out in the backyard, we will set up um, a place again with the TV and chairs out there because uh, Katie was part of the homeschool community and she was also uh, had a business at the farmer's market. And so there will be a number of people that want to come by and, um, you know, pay their respects. And we want to celebrate her life and we want to celebrate the fact that uh, she is with the Lord. Always keep this in mind. We have a living hope. We have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. We have a living hope. And uh, so, but we do want to pray for the family and we want to take time to do that. And uh, we want to, to rally around those who have suffered loss, those who uh, are sick and, and um, those who are really going through difficulties. Listen, we are a family. And we are a family that is going to rally to help those who need it. And we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Amen. And uh, so they need um, just our prayers and support in every way. So, Father, we do ask that you would just uh, bring comfort to Sandy. We thank you for the blessing that Jerry, I thank you for the blessing he was to me personally and so many of the men. But, Lord, to this congregation, as I think of all the projects he did here and helping us out, and he loved this place. This was his home. But, Lord, he has home with you. And um, what a testimony it was of him wanting to see you and go home and be with you in, in his last days. And we just pray for comfort for Sandy. We just pray that you would just bless her and strengthen her. And the Lord, as she's adjusting life without her husband after over 40 years. And Lord, I do pray that you be with the Barreras family, with Josh. As, um, he has three small kids that uh, he's going to be a father to. For Kim... Uh, Lord, the loss of, of her daughter, for Amy, for all of the family. And Lord, we just pray for your comfort to come to them. And Lord, for your strength and wisdom. And I pray that you would provide for them in every way. 
that they would know that this fellowship loves them and is here for them. But Lord, may your comfort fill their hearts. You are the God of all comfort who comforts us in every tribulation. And Lord, Paul would write that when he said we were pressed beyond measure. And Lord, when we are pressed and we go through that, that hard, difficult journey of grieving, that Lord, that you would give that comfort that they need. And Lord, I also want to pray for those who Lord, even that I've talked to this morning, that I've gotten just a bad news, a diagnosis of, of Lord, of, for themselves. And Lord, as they're sorting through it, and as, Lord, they, they have family to talk to, and I just pray that you would be with them. Lord, I know that there are those this morning that are here hurting. They're going through trials and difficulties. And we just pray for your love to be upon them today, that you would bless them right now, that we would be encouraged in your word. We would know your heart towards us. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we open up chapter 9 of Matthew, we've been taking our time going through this portion of Matthew's narrative. And you recall that Jesus, that as he was teaching in the Galilee region, he came into that area. Great multitudes are pouring into the area because he's healing people with great power. But he's also teaching with great authority. And as he gave the Sermon on the Mount, as his disciples came to him, he gave the Beatitudes. And then the multitudes would come up and they would listen to him. And, and he would say to them that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Something like that had never been heard before by any kind of, of preacher, itinerant rabbi, whatever. And here is Jesus at the end of that sermon as he would give it to them that the people marveled because he did teach us one having authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. So that word would get out to them, and now they are starting to come into the Galilee region, uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, to listen to him. They're watching him. And they're beginning to mount their opposition against Jesus. And as Jesus, chapter 9, we opened up, we see in this chapter six individuals that get healed, a physical healing that comes to them. But also we see spiritual healing as well. For example, the man who was uh, with palsy and couldn't walk dropped in front of Jesus. And Jesus would say to him that, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the religious leaders that had come from all over Judea and Jerusalem, the holy capital of Israel. That's where most of the religious leaders would live. That's where the temple was. That they're coming up, cruising up to Galilee to listen to Jesus, to watch him. And as he made that statement, they gasped within themselves saying, who can forgive sin but God? And they were right in that statement. But they don't realize that he's the son of God. He's fully God, fully man, God incarnate that has come to this world to go to a cross to die for the sins of humanity for your sins and for my sins and forgiveness comes through him and so he's showing them that he had power not only the words that he spoke and bringing healing uh, and he would also have the power to forgive he, he, he has given us victory over sin and death Jesus has 
Because when he died on that cross, he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days, validating what he did on the cross. So the religious leaders are, are, are going to, again, begin to challenge him. They're cynical about him. He would call Matthew, the tax collector, to follow after him. And, and of course, they saw tax collectors as the worst of the worst. Tax collectors, uh, they're put into the same category as unclean animals, according to the religious elite. And here is Jesus, and he comes to Matthew that we know that Luke and Mark tells us his name was Levi. And he saw the man, and he looked at him and said, follow me. And, and Matthew would get up and follow him. And Matthew had a great feast at his house, and he had other tax collectors and sinners. And as we went through that portion of chapter 9, you know how the religious leaders show up. And they say to the disciples, how can your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? And Jesus, knowing that, he would hear them say that. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Here's a diagnosis that they are sick. And all of us, we were stricken with the sickness of sin, all of us. And Jesus, the great physician, has come to bring healing to us spiritually. He's the one that has saved us because we know that that diagnosis of being a sinner, the wages of sin is what is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, faith in him. So he is coming along, and he's defining his mission to them. And he says, go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You guys, you can boast in your religiousness. You can boast in your traditions. You can boast in, in, in thinking you're better than everybody else and knowing the scriptures, every dot and tittle of the scriptures. But there's one thing you don't know, and that is the heart of God. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he goes on and he says, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. It reminds me of in Luke chapter 9 when they're traveling through Samaria and there's a, a village of Samaria that did not receive Jesus. And so the sons of thunder, James and John, they say, should we call down fire and consume these people? Let's just wipe them out and burn them up and do them in. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're from. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save lives. He came to save that which is lost, as Luke goes on to record in his gospel narrative. So we know the, the mission of Jesus, but also what we're going to see here is the heart of Jesus towards those that as he looks out on the multitude that is very important for us to consider this morning. You see, the religious leaders, they showed contempt towards the people. Jesus, he's going to show compassion towards them. And as they came, they said, why don't your disciples, why don't they fast like, like we do? And Jesus said that as long as the bridegroom is here, it's a time of gladness. It's a time of rejoicing. Rejoicing. It's a time of a celebration because I'm doing something new. It's going to be a new covenant. As he said in that upper room to his disciples, this is my blood in the new covenant as he would take the cup. And we know that Jesus in that new covenant, that we have a new life as we're born again by the spirit of God. We have a new heart as he dwells in our hearts. And then the word of God dwells in our hearts as well. And then also we have a new walk with the Lord, a new relationship with him that with the father that only comes through Jesus Christ. It's a new work. I'm not here to patch up the old religious system. I'm here doing a new work as you put new wine in new wineskins. 
And so Jesus here, as he continues ministering, we, we saw last week as, as he brought healing to a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she pushes through the crowds, and she touches the hem of his garment, and he stopped. And he ministered to her, and he called her a daughter. This woman who was isolated and ostracized, who one who was alone, broke, had no options. And he brings healing to her and calls her daughter, brings her into the family of God. And then he goes to Jairus' house, who had a 12-year-old daughter who lay dead. And he would say to Jairus, don't fear, only believe. And he goes in. And he touches and takes that little girl by the hand and says, Arise, little girl. And she arose as she comes out of that state of being dead. He robs death as she rises from the grave, as she rises from that bed that she laid dead on and brings life back into that little girl. You know, one of the things that, that I want to mention, and then we'll get into our text, that it interests me that in the Gospels, Jesus raised three people from the dead. Here in chapter 9 that we saw last week, Jairus' daughter, and we know from the other Gospels, as we discussed last week, that after Jesus raised her up, that he said, give her something to eat. She's hungry. And then also the second uh, story that we have of Jesus rising, uh, raising somebody from the dead is the widow of Nain's son in Luke chapter 7. And after he was raised, the widow's son began to speak. And then thirdly, you know, uh, Lazarus. John chapter 11, as Jesus would stand in front of that tomb at uh, the town of Mary in Bethany, and he would shout, come forth, Lazarus. And Lazarus would come forth from that tomb. He came forth walking. And you will find the same thing happening to those who have been spiritually resurrected and born again. Like Jairus' daughter, uh, there's a hunger that is there. There's a hunger for the Word of God. I believe that more people are hungry for the Word of God than ever before because of what we've gone through. They're looking at the world. They're seeing the, the trends of the world, the philosophy of the world, how it's all unraveling, and, and they know deep down inside that this is not truth. This is not good. That this is dark and this is deceptive. And they are hungry for truth. And we have truth to give to them. So people are coming to Christ and they're hungry. And we're going to feed them and give them the word of God. But then also what we see is like the widow's son, their talk is going to be different. They begin to speak truth, and they begin to talk about the things of the Lord. And like Lazarus, they will have a new walk. And that's what happens when Jesus touches hearts and brings resurrection into people's lives. And so now we continue, so we're going to see the final three healings that Jesus brings to individuals. In verse 27 of the chapter, we read, Then Jesus departed from there, and two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. So these two men who can't see are calling out to Jesus. They're calling out, Son of David, Son of David. And of course, we know that that was a messianic term. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, as Nathan the prophet came to David and said, David, I know that you want to build a house, a temple for God, but you're not going to build the temple. You're not going to build him a house, but the Lord has a message for you, and he's going to build you a house. And upon your throne is going to be Messiah, and your throne is going to be established forever. And David worshiped the Lord. He was so overwhelmed when he heard that. So they knew that when Messiah came, that he would come from the line of David. And here they are are crying out that you're the son of David, the son of David. They couldn't see physically, 
but those two individuals could sure see spiritually. That you're the son of David, you're the greater than David. And they come and they are calling out to him in verse 28. And when he had come into the house, the blind man came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open and Jesus sternly warned them saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him and all that country. So these two guys are persistent and they follow him. They're crying out to him. They follow him into the house. Not easy because they can't see. Obviously, somebody is helping them in this. But as they come into the house, the Lord asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they answered, Yes, Lord. And maybe on this weekend that the Lord may be asking you, Do you believe that I can work in whatever area of your life that there is darkness? Where there is blindness. And you've been calling out to the Lord. And Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, work in my situation. Maybe in your heart there's some darkness there, struggles, and you know that you need to go to Jesus and ask for his touch and working in your life and in that circumstance and in that area where there is darkness. Maybe you're here, somebody's here, and or you're watching or listening on the radio later and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that those who don't have understanding, who are unbelievers, that Satan has blinded them. There's, there's a darkness that is there. And that's why Peter writes in his epistle that those of us who have been saved, he's brought us out of the darkness, what? Into his marvelous light. And that's good news for you and for me. And you see, this world is dark. There is no hope in this world for you for eternity. Uh, the only hope that there is is coming to the light, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And as you surrender your heart to him, and he desires to open up your eyes so you can see spiritually. And, and so here is these two individuals, these guys believing that Jesus could do that work in their lives. And it reminds me of as Jeremiah. He was in a dark uh, dungeon. He was in a terrible place. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me, Jeremiah? And of course, the answer is no. And there's nothing too hard for the Lord to work in your life wherever there's darkness, wherever there's blindness that comes, that he desires to open up your eyes. He desires to bring light into the situation. He, he wants to work. And as we call out to him, trusting in him and resting in his love and believing in his promises and knowing that there's nothing too difficult for him. And so they received this healing touch from him and they can see and, and Jesus tells them as, as they come out, they're in the light, they're, they're able to see. He says, don't let it be known. Now why? He said that in other incidents and healings that he brought to people. Don't let it be known that I've brought this healing. Why would he do that? And I think that perhaps Jesus was trying to keep this circus mentality from being created. People only coming for physical, material, you know, um, wants and needs and, and healings. Uh, and that's what we're going to see is going to increase. And Jesus is going to deal with the crowds in that. We will see the crowds eventually begin to dismiss themselves, diminish, as Jesus talks about going to the cross. 
So he doesn't want this circus mentality to take place. So he says, hey, you know, as he wants to, to get a message of the kingdom to get out, don't go and tell anyone. These guys, they go out and tell everybody. They go out throughout the country. You know, that they, means they went throughout all the land telling everyone that this one, we were blind, but now we see. Interesting, today Jesus tells us to go out and tell people, and we don't. We're afraid to, and we're going to talk about that as we get into chapter 10. So I'm going to use a little bit of reverse psychology on you, all right? After today, when you leave here, don't tell anybody about Jesus, okay? <laughs> don't tell them that you are in darkness, and you are blind, but now you see, and that you're in the light. You know, it's a message that we do have to give to others. And there are those that are linked to you in your life that you care about, that you have opportunity to talk with and, and to be able to, to, you know, just minister to them. The most incredible message that the world needs to hear and that Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he wants to save you. He desires for you to know him to give them the truth of the word of God. We have opportunity to do that. So here we see another healing, the final healing in verse 32. And they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. When this one spoke... I wonder what he said. I wonder what he said. And Jesus continuing to bring healing to the people, but the religious leaders are not accepting the ministry of Jesus. They are actually, as we are going to see again, begin to mount their opposition to him, try to trap him, try to find fault with him. And even though they're seeing these incredible miracles that are taking place, the multitudes are marveling. Uh, we've never seen anything like this in all of Israel, ever. The religious elite are cynical and critical. And I think that they're realizing that they're beginning to lose their credibility and authority with the people. You know, one of the things about the religious leaders that they never denied the miracles of Jesus, even up to the end. Even when Jesus was on the cross, what did they do is they were mocking him. They said he saved others, but he himself he cannot save. They, they admitted, they said he saved others. They never denied the miracles of Jesus. They raised the dead. They brought healing to others. But he himself, he cannot save. They were wrong in that part of it because Jesus could have saved himself. When Peter poured out that sword out there in the garden and he cut off the ear of Malchus and, and, and as they came to arrest Jesus and bound him up, that Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. Don't you know that I can call down 12 legions of angels? He could have. He could have just spoken the word and 12 legions of angels, 76,000 angels would have come down and destroyed, you know, all those soldiers could have destroyed Jerusalem, the whole world if he wanted to. He was perfectly within his rights to do that as God. But he said, Peter, I'm going to take on the cup that the Father has given me to drink, the cup of suffering and death. And as the next day after he was bound up and went through a series of trials, he would take that cross and he would go to that place of execution. 
and he would hang on that cross. And there they are mocking him, saying, others he saved, but himself he cannot save. He, all he had to do was speak the word. You see, those nails didn't keep him up there on that cross. It was his love for you. Because he went to the cross for you individually, specifically. Please never forget that. And I am thoroughly convinced that as he made his way down the Via Della Rosa and the way of sorrows to that place of execution, it was you that was on his heart and on his mind because of his love for you. It was his love for you that kept him up on that cross until he would cry out, it is finished. It is finished. Because if he would have come down from the cross, if he would have called down those angels, you and I, we wouldn't be saved. But he did it for you and for me that we might have forgiveness of sin and relationship with the Father and spend all eternity with him. So here they are. They're, they're cynical. They're coming against Jesus. And, and we know that uh, Luke tells us of this account that when they said that to him, Jesus responded by saying, A house divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So Jesus showing them really the, the stupidity of their accusation. Why would Satan cast out Satan uh, or, you know, uh, his demons? Um, the house divided cannot stand. But as we finish this morning in verse 35, then Jesus went abroad to all the cities and uh, about and villages and teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord, the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus traveling throughout the Galilee region. Number one, he's teaching. Second of all, he's preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And thirdly, he's still bringing healing to the people. And as he looks out on the multitudes, he was moved. I have that word underlined in my Bible. He was moved with compassion. It really is an incredible scene here. He's moved in his heart, uh, the very core of his soul. Uh, you know what that means. When you have compassion for someone, when you look at them and you're just moved in your heart, your heart breaks, you re have real deep concern for them. And I like in verse 36 because it shows his heart towards us. He sees us. He has compassion for us. He sees those who are lost, and he sees how they are weary and scattered because they don't have the good shepherd in their hearts and in their lives. Again, contrast that with the religious leaders. They didn't have compassion for the people. They had contempt for the people. They didn't want to care for the people. They were cynical towards the people. They were judgmental. They, they ruled with a heavy hand. They're going to be threatening the people, anybody that comes to Jesus, that you're going to be excommunicated. So they, they were that way, and they didn't have a heart for people. We see that in the New Testament in, in the early church, that there were those leaders that, that were, again, very heavy-handed. They wanted to, to rule over people. And we know that when Jesus, 60 years after this, wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, a major church in Proconsular Asia, as we read the book of Revelation in chapter 2, Jesus writes a letter to the church and he commends them. He says, I commend you that you persevere, you stand for truth. 
You, you, you recognize those who are false. You, you know, he, he just uh, is commending them in those things. You stand for the truth of God's word. And he also would say that I commend you in this, that you hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, Jesus says. Nicolaitans. Nico, where we get the word Nike. You know Nike? Go buy some Nike shoes and you'll rule over people because you're going to jump faster, you know, jump higher and run faster. Nico, uh, where the word Nike comes from. Nico means to rule and then laetan, laity, the people. You hate that doctrine of ruling over the people, which I also hate. Apparently in the early church, there were those leaders that came along and, and they were ruling over the people with the heavy hand. Jesus says, I hate that. There is in 3 John, John, in that little epistle in the back of your Bible, at the end of his life, the apostle of love, he says, watch out for Demetrius, uh, uh, that is heavy-handed. Uh, Demetrius, he, he, he is one that, that he wants to have preeminence over people. He doesn't receive us. He speaks malicious words towards us. He's kicking people out of the church. And as he talks about Diotrephus, he, he's speaking in, in a way that Diotrephus was ruling with a heavy hand. He says to the Corinthian believers, as they had the most excellent, you know, eminent apostles they claimed to be coming into the church, and they were putting Paul down, and they were ruling over the people. And, and Paul says, you put up with it, and you need to realize that these guys that are claiming to be super apostles or most excellent apostles, that they're not true apostles, they're false apostles, they're false teachers. Matter of fact, they're, they're um, workers of iniquity. They're, they're workers of Satan. And you put up with them. These guys that had come along, ruling over the people, and they were punching the people in the face. And Paul says, you're dealing with that, you're putting up with that. And then Paul talks about his ministry to the people. He said, when we came to you, we came to you, not peddling the word of God. We came to you serving you, giving you the gospel. And he said that as we loved you more, you loved us less. But Paul said something very important. He said, we're not here to rule over you, but to be helpers of your joy. You see, for me as a pastor, I want to be a helper of your joy. I want to stand for what is true. Being a shepherd means, yes, there is a part where you guard and you protect, but I also, I want to feed. I want to be able to, to be a helper of your joy in your walk with the Lord and always giving you truth to make sure that you're the best fed, best loved sheep here in Greeley to, to the ability that the Lord gives to me. So here were these that weren't to, to just rule over the people, the religious leaders, and, and we see their heart in the Gospels. Jesus' heart, he goes to all, verse 35. He sees all. He sees people like sheep scattered. It speaks of being cast off and weary and worn out and tattered and all alone, like sheep without a shepherd, because he's the good shepherd. He is moved with compassion, it says. A very inner being, his feelings. He is moved. It's turning in his gut. He's not detached from the people. He looks out. And he's moved with that compassion towards them. So the question this morning for us as a congregation, for you as an individual, when you look out, when you look around you, what moves you and I?
when we look at our community, when we look at our state, when we look at our nation, when you as an individual, you see people that you're working alongside of, living next to, that are in your family that you go to school with, what moves you and I? Do we have compassion? I'm not talking about compromise. You see, we stand on the truth of God's word. Amen? We stand on the gospel. But sometimes we can get so angry when we see the things and we get so cynical and, and we want to be like the sons of thunder, James and John. Let's call down fire, Lord. Let's just get this done with, right? As we see the things around us, as we see a culture, society that is saying good is evil and, and, and evil is good. We get concerned. I do. I have opinions. I'm concerned for our nation. I'm concerned for the direction that we're going. What we see in the streets of our city, the lawlessness and the, the looting that goes on. I see other things that are taking place that concerns me. I wonder what the future of my children are going to be if I have grandchildren. I see the condition of the church, how declining more and more, there is a turning away from the word of God and the gospel message. I think that we should hold our, our elected officials accountable, that you and I are to stand for righteousness. And, and I get upset and, and I get weary and, and all of these things that take place in my heart, and I know it does with you. It may be different with you. You may have different opinions and different things that you see. But one thing that I am learning is this. I don't want to lose my compassion. I am to be praying, and Jesus says, you are to pray as he changes the metaphor to a grain field. There's a harvest out there. Pray for laborers to go out into the harvest. And as we live in an agricultural area, we know what the wheat feels, you know, as right before they harvest the wheat, the, the wheat blowing in the wind. Right now they're cutting corn. We're familiar with that analogy. We can picture that. But spiritually, there is a harvest out there. And Jesus says, pray for laborers that go out into the harvest. He's moved with compassion, with sheep without a shepherd. And we know as we look out there, as we look at the field of people that are out there, that there are people that are lost. There are people that are confused. There are people that are hurting. They're isolated. They don't know about the Lord. They'd never heard a Bible verse before. When I came to the Lord, I knew nothing about nothing. I knew nothing about the gospel. I was raised in a religious setting. It was all religion. I didn't know anything about the scriptures. And I remember sitting there listening to Pastor Chuck one day and thinking, oh, the love of God. The love of God and the love of this man. And we have people that are coming. They know nothing about nothing. But this is a place where there is compassion that is shown to them and truth that will always be given to them. And I'll tell you this, whenever we lose our compassion, we will lose our effectiveness in ministry to others. As we look out, there's a harvest that is out there. And I pray that we wouldn't lose our compassion towards others. Yes, we will stand for truth. We pray for our nation. 
Yes, we, we see these things and they move us. We can have a righteous anger. Jesus had a righteous anger when he saw the injustice, when he, you know, turned over the money changers' tables in, in there in the temple. Uh, he would have a righteous anger. Uh, we're going to see that in a few weeks as he looked at the religious leaders there in the synagogue. And we can have that. But I don't want to just spend all of my day being angry. I want to be able to be effective in ministry because we have a message to give. And there's a harvest that's out there. And when Jeremiah giving that difficult message, he was called the weeping prophet. Why? Because he cared for the people. He didn't compromise the truth. They would come to him and say, what's the word, Jeremiah? It's the same what I've been telling you. That surrender and you'll live. If we rebel, you're going to die. And we have the same message to give to others. If you surrender to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, you will live. If you rebel, you're not going to. That you will die. You will die in your sins. Jesus said that if you do not believe that I am he, that you will surely die in your sins. And that's part of the message that we do give. But don't lose your compassion and pray how you can be a part of, you know, the laborers going out. Because Jesus, we will see, he goes to a mountain, he prays, and then he calls the disciples, and then he's going to send them out two by two into the harvest. There's a harvest that's out there. And we are here for such a time as this, and we are rushing towards eternity, and people need to hear the gospel. They need to know that we care. Summer's over. The harvest is in. And we're not saved. It was the saying of Jeremiah when Jerusalem was being destroyed. As he talks about the destruction of God's people that came because they would not turn to the Lord. Summer's over. The harvest is in and we're not saved. And I'll tell you what, there's going to be a time, I believe, very soon where the trumpet's going to sound and he's going to take the church and the rapture of the church. And you know what's going to follow? It's going to be great destruction. There's going to be a period called the tribulation period that Jesus said that will be tribulation such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. And if the rapture happens in our lifetime, which I believe can happen, we don't know the day or the hour, but we see all the things around us that are pointing to the, the soon return of Jesus Christ. And it's absolutely amazing. But in the meantime, there is a harvest to be out there. And if the Lord comes back tomorrow, today, later, next week, next month, whenever, soon, there's people that we know and we care about and that we love that they will be saying, summer's over. The harvest is in. And we're not saved. So Calvary Chapel, let's not lose our compassion. And remember the mission that we have to give the message of the gospel to others. Oh, we'll stand for truth. We'll get upset in the things that we see going on around us. But time is short. And the Lord is coming back, and there's going to be a harvest, guaranteed. And we are to be laborers to go out into the harvest. What would the Lord have you to do? To share with, to minister, because you, all of you have a mission field when you leave this building. 
And I pray that we would do it with compassion. Lord, help me to see people the way that you see them. So, Father, we thank you. We, we can talk so much about this. But, Lord, we want to keep that perspective of, Lord, what we're to be about. And when we see the <clears throat> things going on around us and our nation, and, Lord, it concerns us. And, Lord, it breaks our hearts. And we can get angry. And we can get cynical. But, Lord, I pray that, that we would see people as we look out on the multitudes that are lost and scattered and lonely, that we wouldn't lose our compassion. We have heard over the last months, six months particularly, alcoholism, drug use, on the increase, suicide, divorce, abuse, pornography. Lord, Satan is having a heyday. And people are getting sucked into deception and darkness. And we have a message of light and life and of truth. So, Lord, give us wisdom, give us discernment, and, and may we be moved as we look out to the people in our lives, to the people around us, to our nation. We pray for our nation. We pray that there be a turning to you, repenting from our sins. We pray that, Lord, for the churches that all throughout this land are being restricted in, in meeting, Lord, Father, that you would use us. Lord, that we would come together as one. Lord, that you're not done with us. Father, I do pray that you would help us. And that, Lord, that we would give a message of light and love. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, I just pray if there's anyone here or listening online or on the radio later that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, listen. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And it would be later after that he went to a cross and he died for your sins and he rose again. He loves you. And the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord, it means that you turn away, repent. That's what repent means. It means quit going in the direction you're going, look into the world to be your hope or yourself or a church, only Jesus. And he's calling you to turn and surrender your life to him and call out to him. And you can do that right now. He says, whosoever, that's everyone, anyone, calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that right now and pray, Jesus, I come and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I give my life to you right now because you are my hope. You're my salvation. And I want a new walk. And thank you for this new life. 
in this new beginning. And I want to know you. Thank you for bringing me to the family of God in Jesus' name. And for all of us as we leave this place, that there's a harvest out there. Pray for laborers of the harvest. That's us, Lord. As hard and difficult as it is, give us wisdom and discernment, Lord. And Lord, not to lose that compassion for people. So we thank you for this morning. I pray you bless everyone as they go. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.